Action Research, Politics, The Politics of Knowledge, Institutional Change, and Professionalism. One of the underlying assumptions of this book is that action research is best viewed as a vehicle for the empowerment of practitioners, students, and communities toward a goal of institutional and social change from the inside. We feel that the vision of action research as a packaged in-service promoted by external reformers or as the activities of isolated individual practitioners pursuing minor research questions sells the possibilities of action research short. Action research, perhaps more than other innovations, must challenge the socio-political status quo of the setting. In fact, we do not really think there are safe action research questions unless the researcher contains the exploration of the problem or question so as to divorce it from the larger socio-political context in which it takes place. Solutions derived from this kind of exploration rarely meet the validity criteria described above. For practitioners to resist falling into sanitized forms of action research, we must explore both the ways in which schools are themselves political and the functions that schools serve in a broader sociopolitical context. We do this not to discourage practitioners from engaging in research, but to help them understand the resistance they may encounter from some subordinates and peers. When action research is done skillfully and with the welfare of students at the center of the research, tremendous benefits are likely to accrue to all involved. What do we mean by politics? When we talk about the politics of action research, we mean several things. First, as action research moves beyond the four walls of the classroom, there is a need to understand the institutional micropolitical forces that practitioners will encounter. This institutional aspect of action research has been generally glossed over in most of the literature. Second, as school practitioners begin to redefine their roles as professional educators, they must critique the narrowness of current definitions of their roles. The work of educational practitioners is becoming more fragmented, more supervised, more assessed, and consequently more controlled from the outside. The attempt to gain control over and redefine one's profession is an essentially political move. Third, the question of who creates knowledge about teaching, administering, and counseling is a political question. We frequently hear how inaccessible and irrelevant most of the knowledge created by outside researchers is for educational practitioners. Much of what practitioners know about their practice is subjugated knowledge, or knowledge that is not viewed as valid by those who create knowledge in universities and those who make educational policy. We live in a time when subjugated knowledge is being brought to light. Women's studies programs and various ethnic studies programs have successfully demanded legitimacy for diverse cultural and gendered ways of knowing. The knowledge of school practitioners and their students is a form of subjugated knowledge because it is not given legitimacy by those who make educational policy. Fourth, underlying all these political aspects of action research is the need to problematize many of the purposes or functions of various educational practices and of schooling as a social institution. We discuss each of these issues in greater detail in the remainder of this section. Institutional Micropolitics When teachers or principals say that their school or district is political, they are usually talking about what we refer to here as micropolitics. Micropolitics includes behind-the-scenes negotiations over material resources, vested interests, and ideological commitments. The micropolitical struggles in many schools are over such issues as inclusion of special education students, varying views on reading instruction, academic tracking, and bilingual and multicultural education. Frequently, micropolitical struggles are over such things as professional jealousy, student class placements, parent-teacher relations, office or classroom space, hall duty, and gender and racial politics. Micropolitics is what gets talked about in private among teachers, 
It is also what never gets talked about because it is too political. Micropolitics often exists within the silences created in educational institutions. It is as much about what does not get said as it is about what does. Because of the essentially political nature of life in schools and school districts, educational practitioners who are engaged in research in their schools are not necessarily welcomed with open arms by colleagues and administrators. Often they may feel threatened by potential side effects of action research. Given its potential for moving beyond the study site and challenging power relations, action research should not be undertaken ingenuously. Often these side effects occur even when the research has been carefully contained within the four walls of the classroom. One middle school teacher found that when she began interviewing her students and engaged them in a collaborative study of their own classroom, the students started asking similar questions of teachers in other classrooms. This caught other teachers off guard, and they correctly attributed it to the teacher's research project. Action research, like all good qualitative research, has a natural tendency to spill over into areas one had not expected to study. For example, practitioners should expect that pursuing questions about one's classroom will inevitably lead to questions about the institutional context within which classrooms are embedded. Questions raised at the level of the school site will inevitably lead to questions about school district policies and central office politics. Qualitative research is by nature holistic and therefore it cannot easily be used to study a phenomenon independent of the various layers of its social context. The institutional politics of action research rub up against what Schoen calls the dynamic conservatism of social institutions. According to Schoen, quote, a social system is a complex of individuals which tends to maintain its boundaries and its patterns of internal relationships. But given internal tendencies toward increasing disorder and external threats to stability, energy must be expended if the patterns of the system are to be held stable. Social systems are self-reinforcing systems which strive to remain in something like equilibrium. Social systems resist change with an energy roughly proportional to the radicalness of the change that is threatened. End quote. Action researchers who work in schools are often ill-prepared for resistance, sometimes in the form of indifference, to their efforts. They encounter a school and district culture that values individual effort, professional isolation, and conformity. Hutchinson and Whitehouse describe the encounter between the action researcher and institutional politics in the following terms. Quote, While action research fosters collegiality, informality, openness, and collaboration, action researchers have to contend with educational institutions that are structured hierarchically with formal asymmetrical relations of power and responsibility. These, seen as polar tendencies, contribute to the struggle between two political realities where, usually, the action research project is emasculated, neutralized, cut down to size by and within the institution, end quote. Hutchinson and Whitehouse argue that practitioners who engage in research must deal not only with institutional politics, but also with how their research contradicts the ways in which most practitioners define professional competence. Referring to teachers, they state, quote, Confined to the narrow social context of the classroom, a teacher's professional experience and her notions of professional competence are defined by the immediate curricular responsibilities and the practical matters of teaching and learning. The action researcher has to reassess reality and commit herself to the notion that social reality is culturally created and contains contradictions of truth and value. In accepting this and in attempting to involve others in a critique of practice, and all that this implies, she soon encounters resistance from those who understand their professional competence to be a positive and direct outcome of the social reality that is confined to the classroom but cut off from the wider social and political contexts. End quote. Teachers in particular live in a fishbowl. Their professional competence is constantly vulnerable to question from parents, students, principals, and fellow teachers. 
they are understandably defensive about what they may perceive as attacks on their professional competence. Once action researchers have conquered their own fears about engaging in a social and cultural critique of their own practices, they should expect many of their fellow practitioners to view such a critique as a threat to their own vulnerable sense of professional competence. This broadening through inquiry into one's own practice of what it means to be competent leads us to also rethink what it means to be a professional. The Politics of Redefining Professionalism Action research has been suggested as a way to reprofessionalize educational practice, particularly teaching, in the face of increasing attempts to standardize and de-skill teachers' work. We will briefly explore what it has meant historically for educational practitioners to gain professional status and what it might mean today for practitioners to rethink what it means to be a professional. There are many excellent historical accounts of how educational practitioners gained professional status. Gitlin et al., in an attempt to condense much of this literature, demonstrate how the move to gain professional legitimation has actually intensified the divisions between educational research and practice. As normal schools and teachers' colleges were abandoned in favor of university status, colleges of education increasingly adopted the arts and sciences definitions of valid knowledge over those of educational practitioners. According to Gitlin et al., quote, challenges to the normal school were based on both their practice emphasis and the inclusion of women in those institutions. To achieve professional status required not only a move away from practice toward scientific research, but also a move to differentiate the work of teachers, commonly seen as women's work, from the educational leadership positions held mostly by men. End quote. The quest for professionalization also created a hierarchy between universities and public schools. Academics were viewed as creating valid knowledge about education, and so these experts were allotted time for research. They were also able to institute a system of peer governance in which questions of tenure, retention, and promotion were decided by colleagues. The role of action research in the politics of redefining professionalism is a continuation of this history. It is encouraging to see academic journals and the Holmes Group calling for schools as centers of inquiry and teachers as communities of learners. However, until academics are willing to address the material conditions of teachers' work and help bring these worlds closer together, their promotion of action research will sound hollow. Ironically, the renewed interest in the professionalization of teachers has arrived at a time of crisis of confidence in the professions generally. According to Schoen, quote, when leading professionals write or speak about their own crisis of confidence, they tend to focus on the mismatch of traditional patterns of practice and knowledge to features of the practice situation, complexity, uncertainty, instability, uniqueness, and value conflict, of whose importance they are becoming increasingly aware, end quote. This crisis of confidence comes in part from trying to force a definition of professionalism that values problem-solving over problem-framing, scientific knowledge over personal knowledge, and facts over values onto an educational reality that is messy, intuitive, anecdotal, and value-laden. Unfortunately, as Cochran, Smith, and Little pointed out, even before No Child Left Behind made it federal policy, a growing standards and high-stakes testing movement had made an action research approach to professionalism even more difficult. Quote, As pressures for school and classroom accountability intensify, research-based, whole-school improvement models became increasingly widespread. The concept of best practice guides discussions about student achievement and teacher education. And the authoritative role of outsiders in school improvement becomes the rule rather than the exception. Part of what these developments have in common is a set of underlying assumptions about school change that de-emphasizes differences in local context, de-emphasizes the construction of local knowledge in and by school communities, and de-emphasizes the role of the teacher as decision-maker and change agent, end quote. In other words, these policy changes de-emphasize many of the most basic tenets of action research. However, research, 
or evidence-based practices like Success for All or open court reading programs are evidence-based according to a one-size-fits-all approach to research that shows little understanding of nuanced teacher knowledge or student variation. Evans, Lomax, and Morgan call for evidence-based practices based on the establishment of a community of teacher researchers whose investigations provide the evidence upon which they make decisions to improve their teaching. Here, evidence is local and generated and applied in the same setting, which does not preclude teachers using traditional research as a further source of evidence. Finally, some educational practitioners have attempted to broaden the notion of professional to include more of an advocacy stance towards social issues related to education. This is really an old debate begun by social reconstructionists like Counts, who argues that because democracy has to be recreated by each new generation, it is the task of educators to help young people reconstruct society rather than adapt to it. An example of teachers taking a strong advocacy approach is the creation of Rita Turnerio and Bob Peterson of Rethinking Schools, a widely read newspaper developed to, quote, shake up every teacher in the system, including the union leadership, by offering a vision of what we think should take place in the public schools, end quote. Although not all attempts at social transformation are as ambitious or as successful, the tendency of educators to view themselves as apolitical often keeps them from thinking, even at the classroom level in ways that challenge the status quo. The Politics of Educational Knowledge Who creates knowledge about education, how it is created, and who uses it for what purposes are all political questions. Many see action research as a social movement in which practitioners are attempting to assert their own ways of knowing, educational and organizational processes, as valid knowledge. In postmodern terms, the knowledge of educational practitioners, along with the knowledge of other marginalized groups like women, the poor, and some ethnic and racial groups, is subjugated knowledge. The problems of educational practice have always been framed by those who do not work in schools. Educational practitioners have traditionally been portrayed in the literature on educational reform as childlike creatures who foolishly resist attempts to bring about changes based on research done in universities and research and development centers. For example, the current federal guidelines tie Title I funding to the use of scientifically proven curriculum materials. As discussed in the previous section, this amounts to a de facto endorsement and imposition of scripted programs such as Success for All or open court reading programs. Educational planners think in terms of knowledge created outside of schools and disseminated or diffused into schools, where it is implemented or utilized by practitioners. Planners hope this process will result in the institutionalization of their research-backed innovations. Ironically, ironically, action research and teacher learning communities are promoted at the same time that teacher autonomy is being drastically reduced, particularly in districts with large Title I programs. Part of the current school reform strategy is to provide pressure and punishment from above while creating limited autonomy for decision-making at the school level. Particularly to low-income schools, this autonomy is so limited as to be merely symbolic. Teacher knowledge is devalued when reforms are forced on them. Action research can be a way for teachers to push back on outside-in reforms and to expand the limited autonomy they still have. However, as educational researchers move to reassert their professional prerogatives, they must be sensitive to others, such as parents, who are in their own way experts about their children and students themselves, who are also experts about their own experiences and needs. Although educational practitioners may rightly feel oppressed in their work conditions, the most oppressed groups are students who are relatively powerless organizational members, and poor and minority parents whose children live in marginalized communities. For this reason, practitioners are advised to include students and parents in their research whenever possible, 
and to be willing to submit their own cherished beliefs, even progressive ones, to examination when their students and communities question them. For example, Delpit found, through critical reflection on her experience as a classroom teacher, that proponents of a whole-language approach to the teaching of reading have in many cases done a disservice to poor African-American children who, she argues, may benefit from a skills-based approach. Delpit does not endorse teacher-proof scripted curricula, but rather a more nuanced and unbiased assessment of the needs of each child and greater dialogue with communities teachers may not understand. One of the lessons of qualitative research is that all educational practices are context-bound and that what might be effective or appropriate in one context might be ineffective or inappropriate in another. Furthermore, if teachers are going to successfully resist current reforms that de-skill them and provide narrow scripted curricula for students, it will have to be in alliance with the low-income communities whose children are falling further behind, despite the no-child-left-behind rhetoric of the current reform. There is growing evidence that when principals and teachers build alliances with community organizations, rather than see them as threats, they increase, not decrease, their power to effect change. The Politics of Schooling as a Social Institution As practitioners generate questions for inquiry, these questions will not only spill over the boundaries of their classrooms into other classrooms and the school as a whole, they will also generate questions that reflect broader social issues. It is difficult to ask questions about ability grouping, for example without asking to what extent one might be participating in a social tracking system and the ethics of one's complicity in structures that seem beyond one's control. Most of the dilemmas that educators encounter in their schools and classrooms reflect broader social dilemmas and conflicting aims of schooling in American society. This should be self-evident, since schools are social institutions in the sense that they are created by and reflective of the society in which they are embedded. But most educational practitioners have been socialized not to think in this way. As social institutions, schools are stages on which many of our social dramas, from racial integration to occupational sorting, tracking, are acted out. Some types of questions may seem more political than others, but any question we ask about educational practices in schools is necessarily political. We often attempt to frame questions about schools as if they were not social institutions, that reflect a wide variety of vested interests and ideological commitments. This is due to a long history of depoliticizing schools and universities. While we are not suggesting that teachers should politically indoctrinate students, we are suggesting that teachers and university professors not shy away from asking critical questions concerning how socially just classroom and school practices are. Nafka, in her discussion of the personal, professional, and political dimensions of action research, quotes from an address by Martin Luther King Jr. to the attendees of the Conference on Social Change and the Role of Behavioral Sciences. Quote, We do not ask you to march by our side, although as citizens you are free and welcome to do so. Rather, we ask you to focus on the fresh social issues of our day, to move from observing operant learning, the psychology of risk, to the test tubes of Watts, Harlem, Selma, and Bogalusa. We ask you to make society's problems your laboratory, we ask you to translate your data into direction, direction for action, end quote. King's plea is similar to that of some 20th century social scientists, such as Kurt Leuven, C. Wright Mills, and W.E.B. Du Bois, who have challenged the ways that disinterested research tends to collude in sustaining an unjust status quo. As educators, whether teachers, teacher educators, school administrators, or university researchers, we are all collectively responsible for what is done for and to children in our name. 
We are not merely following orders as agents of the state or doing disinterested research in universities. We act upon the world, and our actions work for or against certain groups. We cannot escape the webs of vested interest that are embedded in our schools and universities. Where we see injustice, we have an obligation to name it and to make it a focus of our reflection and research. Beginning action researchers with an interest in issues of equity may want to begin with Ruth Johnson's Using Data to Close the Achievement Gap, How to Measure Equity in Our Schools. While the book relies heavily on surveys, it is an excellent way to surface equity issues in schools in a way that provides data for the incredulous. From who has access to computers to who gets counseled out of going to college, it provides an array of places to begin in studying equity issues in your classroom or school, and does so in a relatively non-threatening way. Conclusion This chapter may have raised the anxiety levels of budding action researchers. We hope, however, that it may head off any unrealistic expectations of doing neat and tidy studies in a political vacuum. We also hope it has freed practitioners from the burden of having to follow rigid research procedures encountered in universities. As Green points out, the real issue for practitioners is less getting it right than making it meaningful. In other words, action research is about deepening our understanding of school life in the service of students. This is the goal of many critical thinking practitioners. Action research can be a vehicle toward that end. In chapters 3 and 4, we provide examples of practitioners struggling with the various issues raised in this chapter. In chapter 3, we attempt to give the reader a sense of the diversity of research that practitioners have undertaken. We have chosen studies that we feel exemplify the inquiry criteria discussed above. In chapter 4, we provide a case study of co-author Hare's research to illustrate the complexities of teacher research with a goal of student empowerment.